Good morning. Our scripture this morning is Luke 18, 18 to 23. You can follow along in your Bible, or that should also be on the screen behind me, or it's also in your bulletin. So if you would please read along with me. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. May you have a blessed Sabbath. Good morning, church family. It is so good that summer is here. And uh, I see all the flowers coming out and all the trees budding and it just makes me feel wonderful. And all at this time, it always reminds me of camp meeting. I don't know about you, but I love camp meeting. I have grown up in camp meetings and um, it is one of those times that you can just be with your friends and hear really good messages, really good songs. And um, it is a really good time to just come together. So if you've never been to a camp meeting, I encourage you at least for Sabbath for the next two weeks to come up to the, uh, the campgrounds at Wakanda and uh, join everybody. This next weekend is usually the time that we have a potluck, and it's usually on the right-hand side of the big pavilion, usually out in the little grove that's there. Uh, if it gets really hot or it's raining, we usually move indoors, but please, if you would like to come up there, bring something to eat, like a, a plate to pass or something like that, or some snacks or something that uh, everybody would have some food, that'd be great. And we'll enjoy our time at camp meeting. And if you ever want to find me, I'm behind glass at locating because I have to do with the housing and things like that. But I really enjoy camp meeting. I'm hoping that you can make it there too, uh, if at all possible, on Sabbath. Today I'm going to talk about something that's a little bit like the memory verse that we had. We always say that it had to do with riches that the rich young ruler had and that he didn't want to follow God because he was rich. And it says that in the text. But what really happened, if you look at it carefully, is that he was told to get rid of everything and come follow God, to trust him implicitly. And when you follow and trust somebody implicitly, you're willing to give up everything for him. And that is the most difficult thing. And so when I was looking at this month and I was looking at the text that we were studying as a memory verse, I looked at it and I said, you know what? It would be wonderful to talk about the people in the Bible that had been called. I don't mean on the telephone, but I mean called to do something totally different. How many of you have ever done something that you knew that you did not have the skill for, but God all of a sudden said, hey, I want you, and I want you to do this now. And you're like, yes, sir, but I have no clue what you're talking about. I don't know how to do it. And he goes, don't worry, I'll train you as you go. Some of you are like, uh-huh, and some of you are like, oh, please, no, I am not one of those people that likes to get outside my box. But today I'd like to talk about a, a few people like that 
So if you'd turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, and um, I'm going to read from verse 33 and 34. Chapter 6 is an interesting chapter. It is a chapter that is packed full of things that we could use in our daily lives. It's talking about doing good to pleasing God. It's showing you how to pray. It's showing you how to be seen by God, not just outwardly, like saying, look at me, I'm fasting. Uh, how good of a person am I? Um, it's talking about laying up your treasures in heaven. That means talking to people right in the middle. That's the most important part of the chapter. And then it's talking about your eye. The things that you see are really an indication of who you are inside, the things that you like to fill your time with. You cannot serve two gods. You cannot serve other things in God also. It's really hard to do that. And then it tells us not to worry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my hand this morning in answer to this one. How many of you have ever worried? <laughs> I'm sorry, but it, it's something that we all do. But when it, when it talks about worry here, it's talking about do you trust God in the times that you're worrying? Can you let that go? And that is so difficult for us. And that is where we find the text for today is in that whole mix of don't worry. Verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not our righteousness, but his righteousness, and all these things, which is talked about in the whole chapter, will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I looked up a bunch of different translations, and one of them was like, don't worry, be happy. And I was like, okay, I can't get that song out of my head now. But the other one was like, don't worry, because the things that are happening today, if you worry about them, you'll have really a bad trouble with the new things that are going to approach you today. And tomorrow, you're going to have some really bad things that might happen, or some wonderful things, but you can't think ahead and say, oh, I don't think it's going to be good tomorrow, because basically things will be bad if you say they're going to be bad, or good if they're going to be good. And if you look back in your life, and you look at all the wonderful things, you'll have a wonderful memory of what you have, have seen in the past, and if you don't, you'll think that your life has been a failure. So what he's saying is, don't worry about those things, leave it to God and say, I choose to find the good things that are happening around. I choose the things that God wants me to do. And when God calls us to do that, I think it's an amazing thing that'll happen. Just listen to a few, not all the ones in the Bible, but a few people that have been called by God. Noah was called to build an ark. It hadn't rained ever. Just think about that for a while. It hadn't rained, and yet he was called to build an ark. Abraham was called to start over in a new land. Job was called to endure attacks from the devil, so bad that most of us would be like, nope, I'm done. Esther was called to save her people, even if it meant her own life. Moses was called to bring his people home from a place that was pretty comfortable if you weren't a slave, and most of them were. Joshua was called to go against Jericho and other cities and lead his people. The prophets were called to warn the people to repent of their ways. How many of you have seen that every prophet was well-loved? If you want to get somebody upset at you, point out the problems that they have and that they need to fix them. They either attack you or run away. 
And that's what happened during their time, the prophets. Jesus was called to be the Lamb of God and to step down from his throne in heaven. Paul was called to preach to the people while he was, well, the people were trying to kill him. Peter was called to become a fisher of men after being a fisherman for years. Thomas was called not to doubt, but to do the mission that he had in India. John was called to write the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine having those dreams? Those dreams must have been wild, because I read Revelation and go, woohoo, man. So the word called, it's not just a, hello, would you please do this for me, like the nominating committee is about to do with a lot of people. When God starts talking to you and wants you to do service as a missionary, either right here in your hometown, in, your, in the place that you're at, your home space, or whether it's going to another country, it's a little unnerving sometimes. Because we think that we have to have special training. We think that we have to be a pastor or a teacher, a missionary, something. We have to have something, don't we? But no, when God calls, I'm going to show you a couple stories today that God does not need you to be well qualified. He is well qualified to qualify you. Matthew 6 is talking about a lot of this, seek first the kingdom of God. I think that's the most important thing. If you want to be called by God, seek his kingdom. Strive for it. And a lot of people are like, well, I have to perfect that. No, you do not. You have to seek it. You have to strive for it. You cannot perfect God's kingdom. He is the one that will perfect us. Don't worry about the things that are going to happen tomorrow or the things that have happened in the past or the things that are happening today because there's trouble enough if you worry about those things. God will take them. Then things start to happen. When God starts calling you, no longer are there just emotions. Listen to me. This is kind of hard to say because it really affects me too. When God calls us, we're no longer looking at our emotions. We're not looking at our logic. We're not looking at our politics. We're looking at the master. We're starting to depend on him for everything. There's no other thing that will save you except for God himself. And so when we start to experience God through the scripture and we start to look at the scripture daily, we start to pray to him and we start to expect that he will take care of things, he does. You only find that out when you're in times of stress because when you're not, you're really in charge of your own life, are you not? So the difference is when God comes and calls you, suddenly there's a moment that you know that God is speaking to you and what do you do with that? In fact, I'm going to show you a couple times in the Bible that God called and he gave them no warning. How would you like that? I would not like it. I like to be well prepared, <laughs> but gave no warning. It puts us in, with an unhealthy fear as Christians and even as non-Christians that we resist God when he calls. There is the knowing that something's just not right, but I don't know what it is until God steps in. And when we're studying our Bible and we're praying, all of a sudden it's like a small voice or like an impression or something that hits us and we're like, I need to do that because God has asked me to do it. It's a small but mighty voice. Well, let's look at a couple stories this morning. Let's look at a couple stories. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 19.
1 Kings 19, and I'm going to read 19 through 21. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah, saying, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again for what I have done to you. So Elisha took back from him and took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. How much warning did he have? None. Elijah comes by. I mean, Elijah is known as a great prophet. Elijah is one of those that we're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a prophet of God because he did a lot of miracles. But he throws his mantle on him and he says, basically, I want you to follow me and I want you to take over. No warning whatsoever. He takes his modern-day tractor at the time and he kills it and feeds everybody with it. Now we can say he sold his tractor and he fed the entire neighborhood with it. And so sacrificing what he was going to do with his life for God. And he followed Elijah. Now if you look at Elijah, Elijah was a man that had a lot of things going for him. He had a lot of things that were um, quite amazing if you look at his life. We're going to just look at it shortly. And so it's interesting that when he left... He basically said, I'm going and I'm not going to look back. He had little time to react. He had no time to say goodbye, basically, to his parents. The great prophet had called him, and so he sacrificed his career as a farmer, and basically that was that. Elijah, being the great man that he was, had about 16 miracles that stand out in the Bible. Um, now, a lot of people are into miracles, and they're like, oh, this is how you know that somebody's called by God. Not necessarily, but it was wonderful things that happened, and I'm just going to name a few this morning kind of to, you know, remember the things that they did. Um, remember there was a drought that he caused? Remember that? Because God said it. Um, there was meal and oil that was multiplied. Every time that he took some, it was multiplied, and it made little cakes, Okay. A child had died, and he rose the child. Actually, it was God, but we know that this was a miracle through him. Uh, we know that there was a sacrifice that was consumed by fire. Do you remember that one? How many of you, that's your favorite story in the Bible? Some of you, yes. There were captains and men that were slain by fire. There were many things that happened to him that um, it was really wild, uh, he brought the rain back after there was drought. How many of you would like to bring drought? I mean, rain back after there's drought? I mean, my yard is starting to look really brown right now. I'm hoping it rains pretty soon. They said this afternoon, but I'm not sure. But he prayed, and all of a sudden, a little cloud came about the size of a hand. And then it grew to rain, and then it really poured down rain. Then he went over the Jordan, and it divided. And that's just to name a few things. I remember the calling of the fire down from heaven and uh, people worshiping God again. That's, that's one of my favorite stories that he had. But you see, Elijah is now calling Elisha, and Elisha is in his shadow, and Elisha follows him for years, correct? No. 
Not really. Not a whole lot of time. He follows him just for a short time. And before you know it, Elijah's doing what? Flying away in a chariot of fire. And Elisha is left on his own. I don't know about you, but I thought Elijah would be like a subservient person, but look at the miracles he did. Twice as many. Twice as many because he just threw the mantle on him and he said, I will follow. In fact, just to name a few, the pot of oil, the Shunammite woman that had a child and died and he raised it back to life. The boy actually was probably Habakkuk if you look at tradition of the church. The poisoned food that all of the school of the prophets, how many of you would love to know you went down to potluck and every single one of you is poisoned and you're like, oh, we're going to die. And he says, no, just throw some crackers in it. We'll be fine. And they threw some crackers in it, some meal, and they were fine because God made it so. Also, the uh, Naaman that was healed. How many of you would like to go downtown in that yucky river and be baptized in that yucky river just off of uh, downtown? There's that little creek that goes out. I can't remember the name of the creek, but uh, it's not real clean. Be baptized in there, and it, he was healed after he went under seven times. Another one, how many of you have ever whacked on wood and you lost the head of the axe? Oh, yeah, I've done that a couple times. But the axe fell in the water, and he said, don't worry about it, and he took some twigs through it, and the axe floated on top of the water. Miracles that happened. In fact, the one that I remember the most we preached about in the past is the angel armies. His servant came out, and he goes, <laughs> um, we're dead. And he goes, why? So early in the morning, are we dead? Because, look at the armies, and he saw the armies that were surrounding the city. And he says, Dear God, open his eyes because he doesn't see the army that you have. And he opened his eyes and saw a vast army of angels. And he was like, whoa! Being called is experiencing all these things and experiencing miracles, even if you don't do them, experiencing miracles in a way that we can't really understand. They went knowing God was calling because of all of these things. People were like, oh, they're of God. It happened over many years. We have had missionaries that have gone to Asia with little time to raise funds and travel. And in fact, at camp meeting, and this is why a lot of people, I think, have a fear of camp meeting. Because at camp meeting, they were like, you know, we need a missionary in this location in Asia. And somebody would volunteer, and they would raise the money that day, and they would get on a train, go and get on a boat, and then go to Asia, and they would be a missionary, not knowing the language, not knowing the customs or anything. They sent them from camp meeting. I think that's where the fear of camp meeting comes from some people. I think so. But that's what would happen. People would feel the call of God, and they would go immediately. And when they went, all of a sudden, you see things happen that cannot possibly happen other times because God took care of it because we weren't in charge. Now sometimes we, tape, we have too much preparation when we send a missionary, and we don't depend on God as much. But let me tell you, after they're there for a little while, they're dependent on God totally, because I've watched it over and over again, and God does great things. Turn in your Bibles to another story, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to start with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, 
Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert. So he rose and went, and behold, a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charged of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. When the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. How many of you um, on the spur of the moment could go jog alongside of a chariot? The exercise is good, but uh, just to do it right then would be a kind of a, a, a wild event. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading all while running? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place of the scriptures which he read was, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb before his shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, to whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Because Jesus was that person. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See here, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, a little, little background on this. Um, Candace is a, is a title that's given to the queens of that area. And so when he was coming out of worship, he was actually worshiping in Jerusalem, so he is basically a Jewish worshiper. And when he is going back home, he's in charge of treasury and all kinds of stuff. He's a very important person. And as he is reading, he comes to the shocking realization that he doesn't know what he's reading about. He'd probably heard all the rumors. He'd probably heard all the rumors about Jesus. But all of a sudden, put yourself in Philip's shoes. I want you to go to the southwest. I want you to go to the desert southwest, and I want you to just walk. How many of you would accept a call that was that vague? Some of you would be like, oh, no, pastor, nope. Or I want you to drive south of town. Really, pastor, south of town? Just south. Okay, thank you. And as you're walking or driving, all of a sudden there's an impression that comes upon you and the Spirit of God says, I want you to go and talk to that person. Okay. You start talking to the person and you find out they're reading something and they're like, I don't understand this. And you're like, neither do I. And all of a sudden you open your mouth and what gushes out are the memory verses and things that you learned in the past, just things that gush out and you're like, I don't know where that came from. You see, sometimes God calls us to be used by him, not just because he has a ministry for you, but just to be used by him. 
And Philip was enabling God to do that. He was open to him because Philip obviously had been following Jesus and he obviously was in scriptures all the time. He obviously cared about what God had to say. So if you're emerged in the Bible and praying to God for him to work, something might happen like this. In fact, as the royal family heard about Jesus, I imagine it was with joy that they accepted what this man had taught because he learned that Jesus Christ was in fact the one that was pointed forward to as the Messiah. He was baptized, and I wonder how many people were converted because of that one baptism. Right there after accepting Jesus and believing what he taught, the very next place we see him is in Gaza by the sea. He took him away. How many of you would like to travel 45 to 50 miles by thought? And then he went down to Caesarea later on traveling, but he was taken away. He wasn't in the desert anymore. Some of you are like, I would go just for that because I want to travel with thought. But when God calls us, no matter the place that you're called or the place that we're supposed to serve, God's word must be read and must be preached. Mentors are always around if you look for them. They draw you close to God and confirm that you are called by God in the capacity that you're called to. Some of you will be called to do ministry by the nominating committee. Please pray, study, and open your minds to a new ministry and the opportunities that might be there. And if you're not asked to do something, make sure that you contact us and say, listen, I would like to do this, or I would like to do that, and they will prayerfully consider it. But don't be offended if they say no. We have many ministries that maybe God will start this year. Walking beside people, encouraging them in the walk of life. When you think that you have it all figured out, that's the time you need to end up down on your knees and saying to God, I want you to make sure that you are the one taking my life. I don't want to crash and burn, and that's where I learn about you. I want to be able to be beside you. You see, with a mentor and God, you can get back up and become what he wants you to be rather than being down and out or even accomplish things and it be only on your own. So the Bible, prayer, and surrender to our, of ourselves. I took this picture at about 11.30 at night up at Northern Lights Camp in, in, uh, on the Canadian border uh, in North Dakota. Little did I know that Sue and I and the kids would be called to the Dakotas because the Dakotas have always been places that we either drove through or that we visited for South Dakota's uh, Mount Rushmore. Little did I know that we'd be called to do ministry at youth camps. Little did I know that I would be called earlier to Belarus in, when I was in my 20s and do something that I had never, ever done before, and that's be out of country in a, in a um, ex-Soviet uh, territory. Um, I still remember the first time that I came into town, everything seemed gray, and the people told me I was pretty much right because the... Uh, the coal furnaces in town turned everything pretty much gray. And meeting the people and understanding the plight that the people had and learning that many of them were happy in spite of the KGB and other things that had happened to them, I was dumbfounded as I did ministry, finding out that they were in fact ministering to me also. Little did I know that in prayer and supplication that we would end up in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm not a city boy, I'm more of a rural guy. But in the same respect, we found many of you as friends. And don't worry, this is not a speech that I'm leaving or anything like that. But this is, it's a wonderful thing to know that when God calls you, he calls you for a specific task. And when that task is, is something that you are starting to do, 
It is only through prayer and testing the limits of God and asking through the scripture what we're supposed to do next that we move forward. Little did we know this last couple years that we'd be faced with things like fear. Little did we know that we would be faced with things like death. Little did we know that we'd be faced with new birth and things that were just totally out of the ordinary from what we had before. But every time I look up at the sky and I see the stars and every time I look up at the sky and excluding this last week when we saw the smoke from the fires and things like that. But when I look up and I see the awe-inspiring views and vistas that God has planned for us, I realize that he's calling each one of us to do something specific. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is. But maybe this week he will show himself and say and whisper in your ear, you know, this is what I'd like you to do just for today. Test him. Through the study of the scripture and through prayer and through mentorship, I believe that we as a church can do anything. The worst things that I have seen in my life and in my ministry is when people are passing away that have no relationship with Jesus Christ. I had an individual, I won't tell you the details, but they were not living a life that was congruent with God. And he looked at me square in the eyes and he said, Pastor, I'm going to hell. And I said, you realize that's not true if you don't want it to be. I said, all you have to do is reach out to God and say, I give you everything. I don't have much right now because I'm going to die soon, but God, I'm giving you my heart, my mind, everything that I have. I have been a, a crazy person in the past, but I confess before you, I want to spend eternity with you. That's all that it takes. He says, I can't do it. I'm too bad. I said, there's no such thing. I pled with him, and he died. And I don't know if he had the assurance of eternal life. That's the hardest thing you do in ministry is when somebody rejects God and you can't do anything about it because the Holy Spirit has to work in their hearts. I pray that he did. I pray that in the quietness of his mind and when I wasn't around that he did because I don't want the devil to win. I've also intervened in young people's lives when they called me and said, I'm on a railroad track in this specific spot, and it was 10 hours away. Luckily, we had a friend that was 20 minutes away. Had somebody else call him, meet him on the railroad track, and I said, if you have to, get your truck and push him off. That person is now a healthy individual that is serving God in the best way that they can. I've seen people give their lives to Jesus Christ and never look back. I've seen people struggle with relationships and with God and return to him after terrible things that happened to him. The worst thing that I have ever seen is a young person taking their own life and having to go to the funeral and having to do the funeral. But when you're called by God to do something, you've got to do it, and you've got to face those things. And when you, when you start ministering to people and the Holy Spirit gives you the words, it's like the 101 of called ministry goes out the window because you're not doing a thing. The Holy Spirit's speaking. I plead with people just to trust God, and it will be okay. But they say, no, I can't believe in a God that lets bad things happen. A God that lets bad, bad things happen is also the God that is there with us through those bad things. 
I've experienced that firsthand. My family has experienced that firsthand. We as a church have experienced that firsthand. Many of you have faced this firsthand in the last number of years. We watch a family member get sick and die. We, lo- we watch family members almost die, but through the grace of Jesus Christ, and we don't know why, they survive, except for that God was there. He was there even when the relatives died. God gave us a second chance, I know that. We've watched family members die. We've watched people go through all kinds of bad things because of choices. But you know what? Life is not without trouble. But there's a promise that we have. There's a promise that we have, and that promise is that those who are in, on our side are stronger than those that we, cannot, that we can see. You see, that is what is called to, that is what is called to serve means. It means that we have hope. Twice as many miracles for a guy that just threw everything away right then and sacrificed everything, and he followed twice as many miracles because he did it in trust with God. A lot of work needs to be accomplished here in this church, but the power will come through the Bible study, prayer, and surrender of ourselves, and the last thing, the trust in the call of ministry that God has for us. If you don't feel equipped, God will equip us. And mentorship will help with that. But we need to trust no matter what that God is there and in charge. Ministry may not be what we think it should be. It might be a whole different realm that you've never even planned. It may not even be in your area of expertise. It will, however, be something that you will remember the rest of your life. He will gather the team that will make the ministry work. And if you look at here, I don't don't have my cell phone on me today. But if you looked and all of a sudden you got a call and it said unknown, how many would answer Like, mmm, spam. (laughs) But if it all of a sudden you answered, this is God calling. I'd like you to serve me in this area. God, I don't feel fit. I feel like the prophets of old. I don't know if I want to do that, God. Please. I feel it's your area. Please, I think that I have people that you can reach. I have people that you can reach in your ministry, please. Dear God, it's awful. I've been experiencing some crazy things recently. It's okay. It's okay. I'm calling you. It's on me. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I know that camp meeting is coming up, and it's a wonderful time to experience. But dear Father, we have a church here, and many people here in this city The representation of many, many towns and cities are in this congregation today. We pray, dear Father, that if you're going to call us to do things, that you'll make it evident because it is a scary thing when you come calling. But dear Father, we do trust you. So help us as we search the scripture, as we pray, and as we trust you. We pray, dear Father, that you'll give us the ability to see where you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen.